Would you receive God's grace, his word of forgiveness? Amen. Well, the scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 4. Uh, today we're looking at the, uh, a, a sermon on prayer, and especially given as we think about uh, the retreat and we think about uh, going up and focusing on prayer. And this morning we're going to look, look at Acts chapter 4. We're reading from 23 to 31. This is a reading of God's word. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea, everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, sent by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. Uh, Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we give you thanks for this morning that we could hear your word, and I pray, God, that you would speak. Speak now. Speak to our hearts. Speak to wherever we are. Speak truthfully. Help us to see uh, this instrument that you've given to awaken us, to change us, to change your city, which is prayer. So give give uh, give your servant strength to speak only your truth in a way that pleases you, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this week, as Brent mentioned, many of us are going to be going on a retreat. And at this retreat, we have a a tremendous speaker, John Horry, who is going to speak to us about prayer. All all these things about prayer. Today, I want to get us started on this journey on prayer, thinking about prayer and what prayer is about. And I want to talk about this idea of community prayer or corporate prayer, praying together and the power of that. And to do that, I'm going to be, we're looking at uh, Acts this morning, Acts chapter 4. Acts is important because it tells us all about what the church is. Acts happens right after Jesus ascends to heaven, and he tells his church, and he continues to work even after he ascends by building his church, the community of God. Acts is really critical because it tells us what the church is all about. We often miss it. Acts tells us the church is not about buildings. In fact, the early church didn't really meet in buildings. They met in houses. They didn't meet in temples. They met in houses. They met sometimes outdoor. They just gathered together without even a building. Church wasn't about buildings. Secondly, the church wasn't about celebrity preachers. You know, the most famous preacher at the time was the Apostle Paul. And what's interesting about him is that he was known not to be an impressive speecher, uh, speaker. In fact, uh, some people said that he was impressive when you read his words, but when you heard him speak, people were like not impressed with him. 
the church was not about celebrity preachers. It was not about buildings. What was it about? Well, Acts tells us the church was all about things like the fellowship of God's people. You know, they gathered not just on Sundays, but in their homes. They broke bread every single day, encouraging each other. The church was about the mission. It was about the gospel, the greatness, and the good news of God, and sharing that gospel with anyone and everyone. And today we want to say the church was all about prayer. They loved, whenever they got together, to pray. And God moved the church through prayer. So today as we look at this chapter in Acts, I want to talk about how prayer uh, was done in community. How it powerfully shaped people and believers. And finally I want to talk about, really briefly, about the story of prayer. And how story reminds us of a larger story that God is working in our lives. And the first thing is this. Corporate prayer or community prayer. Book of Acts, it starts... Uh, with chapter 1. Jesus ascends to heaven. He goes up to heaven. In Acts chapter 2, one of the great leaders of the early church was named Peter. He was an early follower, one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And he speaks a sermon. At that time, in Acts chapter 1, there are only about 120 Christians, followers of Jesus, only 120. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches a sermon at Pentecost, simple gospel. 3,000 people call on the the name of Jesus that day. 3,000 people are added into the church. And starting from Acts chapter 2, the church explodes. The gospel hits the city. And all these people are starting to respond to the gospel. So by the time Acts chapter 4 rolls around, uh, the religious leaders of the time, it gets their attention. They're concerned. Some of them are jealous. Some of them are really weary of the social unrest that the gospel and the church can be doing in the city. So they take action. Right at the beginning of chapter 4, the religious and political leaders, they they put in prison two early leaders, Peter and John. They put them in prison. They spend the night overnight. And in the morning, they haul them before this assembly. All the important leaders, elders, scribes, the Sadducees, the high priests, they're gathered together. It's like a congressional hearing. They put Peter and John on trial. They say to Peter and John, by what authority are you preaching? Are you teaching? Are you doing these miracles? They want to intimidate them. But Peter uh, responds in an impressive way. He has this amazing confidence about him. He doesn't back down. He doubles down. And he says in verse 12... There is only one name under the heavens by which we can be saved. The name of Jesus. It puts the council in a tough spot. They want to squash this movement, but they know that uh, these Jesus followers have popular support. So what do they do? Well, in verse 18, this is what they say to them. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. These officials are given a specific charge. They are given a charge not to speak at all in the name of Jesus. They are not to act as Jesus' representatives. They are not to preach the gospel. And there's implicit threat in what they said. You know, these are the same people that killed Jesus. And the threat is, you might be next. Look what we did to Jesus. You might be next. You, your family, we don't know. So what do the early leaders do? 
Now, the early leaders of, uh, of Jesus had a few choices to make at this point. Number one, uh, the first choice they could have made is to stop sharing the faith. Simple. Uh, but if that happened, Christianity would eventually die, would have eventually died out. It would just stayed with those followers of the first century. Choice number two, which was probably a middle ground choice, they could have temporarily kept quiet. They could have waited till the heat died down, and then they could have shared their faith. Option number three. In open defiance against the authorities, they could have continued to boldly share their faith. Despite the repercussions, despite the persecutions, despite death, they could have done that. They had those three options. What would they decide to do? What were they going to do? So Peter and John, after they're given this threat, they go back to the church. They tell the church everything. All of the community, all the faithful believers. And what do they do next? It's interesting what they do next in verse 24. Let's read this. And it says, And when they heard it, they lifted their voices to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. First thing that they do is that they all, in unison, pray to God. It says they do that all together. What is your first instinct whenever problems come into your life? Marriage is falling apart. You lose your job. You have physical health issues. Your family is sick. What is your first instinct? What is the first thing, first place, first person that you go to? I think that's very telling. Is it, do you just put it all on yourself? Do you go to a friend? Do you just worry? So many of us, our first instinct when things go wrong is we're going we're gonna to rely on ourselves. You know, uh, the first thing, the first place that you go to shows you what you trust the most. What do you ultimately put your trust in? Early church, the first moment that they have this threat, the stress placed upon them, what do they do? They just, they, they're going to go to God in prayer. And the early church said, hey, the moment persecution happens, they're like, we got to go to God with this news. We got to get into his presence. Let's go to our father. Let's figure this out with him. That was their first instinct. Their first instinct was prayer. But notice the prayer, they didn't all just go to their homes and pray on it. Notice that they all came together. It says in verse 24, they lifted their voices, what, together, together to God. They prayed spontaneously together. One of the key dynamics in Christianity is that there are disciplines, like reading God's word, prayer, uh, worship, but it's best practiced and, and more enlarged in community. That all the practices of, of, of Christianity are best practiced in community. Think about the power of singing God's praise. We're commanded all throughout the Bible to sing God's praise. Now, we can do that alone, and I do that alone. Sometimes before I read God's word, I sing a hymn. Uh, or I sing a praise song to get my spirit right before I read God's word. And I have to confess to you that it does not sound very good when I sing God's praise alone. Sometimes I feel like I want auto-tune. I want an auto-tune app because I don't sound good when I sing alone. And it's often not very powerful. Sometimes it's moving. But, you know, the whole idea, but think about when you sing God's praise in church. It's much more powerful to sing with other people, Right? 
Uh, I love singing with God's people because I'm inspired when I listen to the voices of other people praising God. Sometimes I don't feel like, i got to confess, even me as a pastor, sometimes, sometimes I don't feel like in the, I'm in the mood to praise. But I hear other people praising around me and that lifts my spirit. It's beautiful. You hear harmonies. You hear instruments. You're with all kinds of different people. And when you lift your praises in praise in community, your praises are perfected in community. You worship with all God's people. And it's a much more powerful effect. Prayer is the same way. We can pray alone. We're called to pray alone individually. But our prayers are perfected in community when we pray together with God's people. One of the most powerful experiences for me as a young Christian is having older Christians pray for me, pray over me. I learned to pray by listening to other people pray for me. Uh, Prayer is a powerful thing uh, when we do it together. One of the reasons I still like watching movies in a movie theater is I love watching a movie and experiencing it with other people. Everything is funnier, livelier, livelier with other people, laughing together, gasping together. Uh, That movie experience is amplified in the context of community. And prayer is the same way. When we pray together, we're experiencing God together. And that experience is amplified in community. Not only that, uh, when we pray together, uh, it has God hears us. God promises to hear us when we pray together with other people. You know, we saw that last, uh, we, were, we just finished a series on Jonah. And one of the things that we saw is that when Jonah preached to the Ninevites, all of the Ninevites, they prayed together to God. And what did God do? God heard their prayers. God promises when we pray together to hear us. L- listen to this promise. It's from Matthew 18, 19 and 20. This is what Jesus says. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done to them by my Father in heaven. For where there are two or three gathered together in my name, there I am among them. Jesus says if there's two or three agree on anything, it will be done for you. You know, I have, um, I have three kids, and you probably met them. And the thing about my three kids Uh, is that they're totally different from each other, like totally different. My oldest daughter is very into politics. She's only 11. My middle son's very into sports. And my youngest daughter is very into arts. Uh, They are totally different personalities, temperaments. The only thing they have in common is their last name. But other than that, they're totally different. So it's really hard going out, choosing a place to eat with them because one person wants to eat in, the other person wants to eat out. They want different kinds of food. It's the rare time... When they come to me and they say, Dad, we have discussed it and we all want to go to this one restaurant. (laughs) But if they ever said that to me, which is really rare, for sure we're going to go there. You know, because they all agree. Uh, Anytime they can come to me as a unified front about what they want, almost certainly I'm going to say yes to that. Uh, Think about God. He's a loving father. He wants to answer our prayers. How much more would a perfect heavenly father who loves us answer the unified prayers of his people? God said, if two or three, that's all it takes, gather together in my name, I will certainly do it. God is our loving father. Corporate prayer is a powerful thing. 
powerful for us to experience God together. But God says he will be powerfully affected by those prayers. Uh, Corporate prayer, community prayer. Uh, the, the theologian Simon Chan said that we need private prayer and corporate prayer. They're like two hands that clasp each other. That's what he says. We need private prayer. We need to pray by ourselves, but we also need to pray in community. He says those are two hands that they clasp each other. Each needs the other. Each needs the other, and together they are powerful. And that's the second point. When we pray corporately, and even when we pray individually, it has a powerful, dramatic effect in our lives. Think about the early church in, in Acts chapter 4. The effects of that prayer are powerful. You know, if we're honest with ourselves, and we're going to talk about this, John, our speaker John Horry will speak on this at the retreat. If we're honest with ourselves, we don't really think God answers our prayers. You know, if, because if we did, we pray a lot more than we probably do. We, we, we really doubt that God is going to do something with our prayers. And we doubt the power of God. We doubt the power of prayer. But look what happens in Acts chapter 4. God's people lift up their voices to God. How does God respond? In verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. After that prayer, meaning the house literally shakes, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they knew what to do. There was no doubt they were going to speak that word fearlessly. They were not afraid of suffering. They were not afraid of dying. They had this unshakable confidence in God. Prayer leads them to live fearlessly. Why is that? What happens in prayer that can so dramatically affect us, shape us, make us fearless. Well, let's look at what the prayer does, what they pray about. In chapter 4, listen to their prayer in verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And as they prayed, they addressed God, not just as Father, which is a typical way to address God, in the Bible, but that they elaborate on that. They say, Sovereign Lord, you're the one who made everything, the heaven, the earth, everything in it. And they realize as they begin to pray that God controls everything. The, the reason that we're fearless is that in prayer, they begin to re- realize and understand that God is their creator. God is the redeemer. God is their sustainer. God controls everything. One way to be fearless, and one reason prayer makes you fearless, is you realize in prayer that greater is he who is with you than he who is in the world. You realize that the sovereign king of all creation is with you. He's in control of all things. When the church begins to pray, they actually quote Psalm 2 uh, here in the prayer. And Psalm 2 is a psalm of David. And in this psalm, the psalm 2 begins by saying, why, why are the people raging? That's what David saying. Why are the people raging? All the kings are gathered together against God's anointed one. And in this early uh, psalm, the church realized, oh, this psalm is about Jesus. That's what they say next. That this psalm is all about all of these leaders that gather together against God's anointed who is Jesus. And they gather together to kill him. 
But listen to what they say in verse 28, which is remarkable. It says, they gather together against Jesus to do what? To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They realized as they are praying, the psalm is about Jesus. And all these people conspired to kill Jesus. But even that killing was predestined by God. It's an amazing idea. They said they came, they they assembled together to kill Jesus, but that was part of your plan, God. You had, in fact, predestined it. Before they did it, you planned it. And one of the ideas they had was that God can take the worst evils and use it for good. God took the death of Jesus from sinful man and turned it into a beautiful thing because at his death he was redeeming us. And as they pray, they gain confidence and perspective. They realize that God can turn our worst things, the worst suffering, into good. He can turn our tragedies into triumph. And that's what prayer does. It changes our perspective on things. We realize the greatness of God, the power of God to turn, to turn evil into good. And secondly, when we pray, it's powerful on us because we experience the peace of God. That gives us peace. I love what the council says about um, Peter and John. Uh, They realize that there's something about them. It says this in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The council, they they realize, man, Peter and John, they're so, they could be dead but they're so bold. And the council is like, how, how are these men not fearful of their lives? And then the light went on. Oh, these guys have been with Jesus. That explains it. You know, prayer is powerful because we're spending time with Jesus. We're spending time in his presence. We, we let the, the goodness and the glory of God saturate our lives. You know, one of my favorite things to places to go out in L.A. is Korean barbecue. You know, it's one of my favorite things. A few weeks ago, I went out with some friends to eat Korean barbecue. And I've learned that when I go out to Korean barbecue to wear my worst clothes when I go to Korean barbecue. Because I know that because when I leave that Korean barbecue joint, I, my, my clothes stink or smell like that Korean, that Korean flavor and the barbecue is in my hair follicles. It's on my skin. It's on my clothes. In fact, when I went home, my wife says, you don't even have to tell me where you've been. <laughs> you know, I know by smelling you where you have been. I mean, it is all over me uh, because the smoke in that environment has saturated my life. So that I, have the, I have the fragrance, the aroma of that. You know, one of the things that Paul says, which I love, is he says that Christians are to be so in the presence of God that what does he say? He says, we are the aroma of Christ to those who are perishing. That's what he says in 2 Corinthians. That we are to be so in the presence of God that when people are around us, we have the aroma of Christ. They, they can sense there's something different about you. Do you have the aroma of Christ? You know, when you're around people who are anxious, do they say, well, this is a person who's different. They're peaceful. There's a joy about them. 
And how do we get that aroma of Christ? It's, it's through prayer. It's by being in the presence of God that we experience his peace. We experience uh, the fact that he is our sovereign. We have his joy. Uh, like Moses came down from Mount Sinai, his face was glowing because he experienced the glory of God. That's what happens when we, God's people are in prayer. Some people say that today, right now, we live in the age of anxiety. We live in the age of anxiety where things are, like in Psalm 2, the nations are raging. There's all kinds of unpredictable political events happening. There's all kinds of things to be stressed about, our finances, our family, our future. We live in the age of anxiety. That's why we need prayer. Prayer is the antidote to all of that. In prayer, we submit all of our plans. Prayer is powerlessness. It's admitting our powerlessness. And prayer is realizing the power of God. Prayer is experiencing his peace and his presence. And prayer in that place, when a a person or a church prays together, we can experience that. We can experience that power. We can experience that peace. And here's the final thing, the story of prayer. For a lot of us, uh, prayer is really hard. And it's very difficult. Uh, And we're going to talk about that at the retreat. But one of the things that we have to keep in mind when we pray is there's the story of prayer. And one of the things that happened in the early church is when they prayed, the the people, the early Christians, realized that they're part of a larger story. It's not just about me. It's about God. It's not just about me, but it's about this movement that I'm a part of. And one of the things that happens in prayer when we do it right is that we realize that we're part of a larger story. We realize that we're part of a larger story. The early church, remember, when they, they were facing death, they were facing persecution. So what do they do when they pray? They, when they pray, they remember, boy, we're part of this larger story. You know, we suffered, but Jesus suffered. People are threatening, we're a part of this giant council. People are conspiring against us. Well, that's what happened to Jesus. Actually, all those same people, those rulers, those priests, they questioned Jesus as well. And they threatened him with death. But what happened to our Savior, Jesus? Well, he faced death for us. And God used his death for good to redeem us. And the disciples and all of God's people, as they prayed, they recognized, hey, we're part of a larger story. That our suffering can also be used for good. In fact, God used the suffering of the early church to disperse them. They call it the diaspora. The suffering scattered all of the disciples all over the Mediterranean. So the gospel went everywhere. And the disciples realized that, hey, my suffering is part of a larger story. Just like Jesus lived, suffered, died, and resurrected, we too, we're going to suffer just like Jesus, but God's going to use it. We might die, but God's going to resurrect us just like Jesus. I love this Greek proverb from a Greek poet. He says, they tried to bury us. They didn't know we were seeds. You know, they tried to, they tried to bring us down, and they realized they, they buried Jesus in the ground. But he rose again to new life. What made them unafraid is they realized they're part of that story. Well, they're going to bury us too. They might kill us. But we, like Jesus, will resurrect to new life. We have a greater hope beyond this life. You see what happens when we use prayer 
is prayer reorients us. What happens with prayer is that we start seeing ourselves as part of a larger story. It's not about now, it's about eternity. It's not about me, it's about God. It's not about what my life is about, but it's about the kingdom of God. And that's what prayer does. It reorients us. It gives us a bigger picture. We zoom out of our own suffering into the story of God. Look at the final results of what happens with these Christians. In verse 29, And now, Lord, that's how they conclude their prayer meeting. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. In prayer, everything changes. The perspective changes. Notice that they don't ask that the suffering or the threats be eradicated. They don't ask for that. What do they ask for? They ask, God, give us boldness. That in spite of these threats, we would speak your word fearlessly. There are two ways to pray. We can pray, God, take, take away my suffering. Or we can pray, number two, God, give me strength for this suffering. We can pray, God, give me a lighter load. There's all kinds of stuff in my life. Take that away. Give me a lighter load. The second way you can pray is like, God, give me a stronger back. <laughs> give me strength. We can pray, God, take away the mountain in front of me. Or we can pray, God, give me some, some good boots. Give me some strength. I'm going to go over this mountain. And that's what the disciples pray. Their whole perspective has changed. That, hey, this suffering is part of God's story. And God's going to use this for his glory. And God give me strength for all of these things. In prayer, it's not about now. We talk about eternity. I'm part of this larger story of Jesus that God is doing in my life. And it's powerful when we do that together as a community. I want to leave with one illustration. It's of, um, of a group of college students. This happened in 1806 in, at Williams College. And a young man, his name is Samuel Mills, just an ordinary college student. He gathered to, he gathered to pray because he became convicted uh, of the need for global missions. At that point, America was just sending missionaries in the country. He was like, God, raise up workers for all over the world. So he began to pray. One day he prayed with five friends, and it began, there began a thunderstorm. So he, they went in, they, they had, held shelter under a haystack. And ever since then, every week after that, they gathered together under that haystack. And more and more people joined that prayer meeting. It became a revival and out of that prayer meeting, all kinds of revivals broke out. Two, uh, two international missions agencies started through that, that revival. To this day, they sent, they've sent hundreds of thousands of people globally on missions. And that started simply with a college student who decided to pray. You know, in order to pray, that's the glorious thing about prayer, you don't have to be a pastor you don't have to know Greek or Hebrew. You don't need to know all these things about the Bible. In fact, prayer is best done by people who Jesus says have a childlike faith and childlike heart. In fact, you don't even need to be good to pray. Jesus says the best prayer is this. is as a man saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He says that's a better prayer than a religious man bragging about all the good things he's done. In order to pray, you don't need anything. You don't... All you need is need. All you need is nothing. And God promises us uh, when we pray, especially when we pray together, 
He will hear us. Heaven will come down when we pray. When God's people gather together to pray, he promises to hear us, to bring heaven down. So I encourage you to pray. Pray together, pray in groups, pray in community. We just had a men's meeting yesterday, and we just committed. It was a tremendous meeting. We just committed. We're going to meet every month, and we're going to pray together. I encouraged our community group leaders. We just launched community groups this week to focus on prayer. I said, less sharing, more prayer. And let's just lift each other up in prayer. In a men's meetings, in women's meetings, in community groups, at church, at a retreat, let's be a church in prayer. And when we do that, we have a generous God who loves to hear us, who promises when we collectively gather together to pray, he promises to hear us. He's our loving Father. He promises to bring heaven down. Please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks this morning as we think about prayer. And Lord, if we're honest, if I'm honest, I can admit how hard prayer is and how many doubts I have about prayer. I thank you, Father, for this wonderful, tremendous example of the early Christians who lifted up your name together in prayer and how you shook them. How you gave them boldness and courage. And Father, we confess to you, we need courage and we need your peace this morning. So many of us have so much anxiety and stress. We need your peace this morning. Father, as we pray, I pray that your heaven would come down. I pray that we'd experience your presence, your peace, your power. I pray that we'd submit all of our failures and weakness and fears to you. I pray that you give us confidence. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that uh, he is the example. Uh, thank you that, Lord, you used the evil against Jesus for your ultimate good, that you resurrected him from the grave. And thank you that we could be part of that story. We could be part of that story of resurrection, of redemption. I pray, God, that you would turn City Light Church into a church of prayer. I pray that when people walk into this service, that they would know that this is a house of prayer for all the nations. Pray that uh, our community would be a community of prayer, that we would reflect the beauty and diversity of heaven. So pray, God, that you do these things as we embark on a whole week-long journey, as we go up the mountains to pray. Pray that you would unite us together. You would unburden us from our anxieties, that we would be one voice in one church. Pray, God, that our prayer was, it would extend to our houses, that we would love to pray to you in private, but we'd also pray for our church and our leaders and our city. Pray for all these things that you're doing all around our world. God, would your kingdom come? So move us forward in prayer. We confess our powerlessness to you, but we claim your power. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for being our loving Father. You hear every groan, every cry, every word. Thank you that you hear us, Father. Please answer us in Jesus' name. Amen.